0: Joshua will come now to read uh, the scripture for this evening and to lead us in prayer. Please, Joshua. Good evening. Once again, bring greetings from Fellowship Baptist Church in Perry Sound. It's good to be with you all this evening. If you do have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Probably a chapter that you've spent time in over the last few weeks dealing with the resurrection of Christ. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, seeking to be a good shepherd to them as they've wandered away from the truth into all sorts of false teachings and bickerings. And here in chapter 15, he addresses a problem in the church that some are claiming that the resurrection has not happened. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures." and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles." who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been risen from the dead, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we sound our amen to what we have just read. How wonderful and glorious is the resurrection of your son. That he cried out, it is finished. The atonement was made. The sacrifice complete. And Lord, you said, it is true. It is finished and rose your son from the dead on that third day. We thank you for the glorious resurrection power. That Lord, that you have given us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, we have that blessed hope, a living hope as we will look at shortly in Christ. Oh Lord, what can we say? We were once your enemies, deserving of judgment, death and hell, eternally, But, O Lord, in the fullness of time, your mercy and your grace broke forth. Lord, you sent your Son. Lord, who did what we could never do, perfectly keeping your law, your commandments, going to Calvary and dying in our place. O Lord, what love, what mercy. And Lord, you have invited us freely to come into your presence. Come and offer up our prayers and petitions. You say that they are a sweet smelling aroma that wafts up before your throne. O Lord, we are thankful that we have such a great high priest in Jesus, who ever makes intercession for us. We know we are not alone, for if he holds us, we cannot be lost. O Lord, we pray for those that are not here this evening. We know that there are many that are struggling with health and family situations. We pray that you would comfort them, give them that peace that passes all understanding, that you would guide them by your spirit, that you would illuminate their minds, that you would bring scripture to them, that they may meditate and be rejoicing, that they may be comforted, that they may be encouraged, and help us to reach out to those we know that are going through those dark and difficult valleys. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd You are there with your sheep, even when we do not think you are. You continue to walk with us. You are our mighty fortress. Though the winds and the waves assault and seek to destroy, you stand fast. Your word remains. You do not lie, therefore we can trust in you. Your promises are yes and amen. O Lord, we are so thankful to have such a peace in Christ our Savior. Lord, I pray for this church as they continue to seek the man that you would have them to um, be the shepherd here, to serve, to feed these people. O oh, Lord, that you would draw the right man to this place. O oh, Lord, fill him and equip him for the ministry here. We also think of other churches in our surrounding area that are looking for pastors. Lord, there are so many. The churches that are looking. And it seems that there are so few that are willing to come. Even as they would say so far north. But we hear laugh. We know it's not that far north. But Lord that you would draw. That you would bring the right men to these pulpits. Father that is indeed our prayer. And as we continue to worship you this evening. O oh Lord open our hearts. Soften us. Show us how glorious and wonderful, how holy you are. And Lord, as we see you high and lifted up, O oh Lord, may we be humbled and yet may we rejoice. May we confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but also give us joy, immense and living hope for you are holy. Oh, lead us and guide us by your spirit, even this evening, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Joshua, welcome. The Lord bless as you open the word to us. If you do have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 to 6, but we'll start and read verses 1 down. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's once again go before the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, you indeed are our help in ages past, our hope into the future. O oh Lord, every time I hear that song, I am reminded of the times in the past that you have rescued that you have heard my cry you have heard my prayers and lord i am convicted of how many times i have not run back to you afterwards and thanked you oh lord you have rescued again and again and again lord you are faithful even when oftentimes i am faithless and so lord i ask that you would forgive and strengthen Lord, as we come to your word, I ask that you would illuminate us by your spirit, that we may see good and wonderful things in your word. Lord, as you moved Peter, you illuminated him by your spirit to write these things, this holy scripture for those that were the original audience all those years ago, but even for us today. O Lord, teach us and guide us. Deepen our faith. Strengthen us. Help us to stand. For Lord, so easily we would slip and fall. So easily we would give up. But O Lord, you have given us precious promises. You have given us even Lord Jesus yourself. Oh, what wonderful mercy. What grace beyond degree. So much that we cannot even begin to understand it. And O Lord, someday when we see you face to face, and our faith shall be sight, O we will rejoice, rejoice without ceasing at that great marriage supper of the Lamb. O Lord, we long for that day. Guide us by your Spirit. Teach us, O Lord. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first epistle of Peter. Starting chapter 1 in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 6. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Poncha, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. In this you greatly rejoiced, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter writes this epistle to the churches of the dispersion in Poncha, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Many of these names will ring in your mind if you've gone through the book of Acts. They're places where Paul went on his missionary journey preaching and establishing churches. It's an area that Peter most likely has been to as well, and encouraged these Christians in their faith. But something has happened since those churches were planted. And in fact, you can see it begin to happen as you read through the book of Acts. When Christianity was being preached, that Christ had come, that the Messiah, that all the Jewish people had been waiting for and longing for, the one who was the prophet and priest, the king... All the Old Testament was pointing towards him. Now he had finally come, and Peter and Paul were proclaiming this in the synagogues, telling the Jewish people, here your Messiah has come. And many believed, but also many disbelieved. And as time went on, there began to become friction between those early Christians and those that did not embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And over time, those Christians were forced to leave the synagogues whether Jew or Gentile, they had at once been worshiping in those synagogues, but now they were forced out. And as they were forced out, they also lost protection. When Christianity was being spread along the Roman Empire, it was considered a protected religion because it was Jewish in nature. And the Romans long ago had said, we we don't want to deal with Judaism. They only have one God and they stick to that one God. And no matter how hard we try to convert them, they refuse to be converted. And so we'll leave them alone. We'll protect them. They they don't have to worship the emperor. They don't have to go to all the idolatrous festivals in the town. They're free to meet in their own little synagogues and do their own little thing. And no persecution will come upon them. But as those early Christians were forced out of the synagogue, that protection left. They were now forced to live on their own, outside of that protection offered by the Roman government. And so persecution began to come forth. They were unwilling to burn pinches of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, for only Jesus is Lord. They were unwilling to go to the pagan festivals and worship in the temples. And for many of them that were Jewish in nature, they lost their livelihood. They lost their friends and their family. By becoming a Christian, by following Jesus They were leaving behind those that stayed in the synagogue. Family, friends, in some cases probably businesses, were left all to follow Christ. All to confess that Jesus is Lord. And when times get tough, when the rubber hits the road, there's always a desire, something in the back of the mind that makes you want to give up. And for those early believers... Oh, how tempting it was to return back to Judaism. Paul deals with part of that in Galatians. But Peter also deals with it in both his epistles as well. How easy it is to say, oh, I know nothing about this Jesus. And to slip back in quietly. Peter knows all about that. He knows the temptation to deny Christ. If there's anyone that could be the poster child of denying Christ, it would be Peter. Remember, on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter stood up and pumped his chest and said, I'll never betray you. I'll go with you to death, Jesus. But of course, what happened? The guards came and Peter ran away with the other disciples. And then slowly in the darkness, he crept up to the high priest's house and managed to just get in the gate when a, a little servant girl came up to him and said, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? Peter said, no, no, not me. I don't know the man. I'm just here to see what's happening. Lies to her. Denies Christ. He goes in and warms himself by the fire. Someone else comes and says, you must be one of Jesus' followers. I can tell by your accent, you're a Galilean. And Peter says, I am not, and begins to swear and curse and say that he never knew Jesus. And then again, he does the same thing. And then of course, the rooster crows. Just as Jesus had prophesied, Peter would deny him three times. And Peter runs away mourning and bawling. He knows what he has done. But then wondrously and gloriously on that resurrection morning, as Jesus comes out of the tomb and meets Mary, gives her those wonderful words, go and tell my disciples and Peter. Why does he make special reference of Peter? Because Peter doesn't think he's a disciple anymore. Peter thinks he's, he's done it. He's betrayed Christ. He's finished. But Jesus says, and Peter. And then, of course, we have that great recommissioning service by the, the water, down by the lake. They've been fishing by night. Jesus shows up. Peter jumps in the water, swims to Jesus, meets him by the coals and the fish. Jesus asks him, Do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And that's what Peter is doing as the apostle to the Jews, just as Paul is the, uh, the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Peter knows. He's been through the ringer, so to speak. And now he writes with a heart full of compassion, moved by the Holy Spirit to those who are going through dark and difficult times. And he says, I know. What I'm writing about is not some theoretical pie in the sky. I've been there. I've been through it and I've been through it again and again and again. I'm sure he suffered persecution, trial and trouble. We see what the apostles go through in Jerusalem in the early days of the church. And I'm sure it continues. And even as Peter writes this epistle, he's on his way most likely, or is already there. We're not sure, to Rome, where history says he will be crucified upside down. Not wanting to be crucified up straight like his master was. But asking for an even more disturbing death, so to speak. So Peter writes this to a church, to churches going through the struggles, the hardships of persecution, The desire to turn back, to run away, to deny Christ. But Peter encourages them to stand and fix their eyes upon Jesus. He opens in verse 3. He can't help himself, but opens as Paul often does in, in a beautiful song of joy. He's moved to praise. He sings forth the glorious wonder of God. Blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, blessed be God the Father. Interesting, he uses God the Father. God as Father is only mentioned a couple times in the Old Testament. It's not a usual title that's given to God. But yet, when Christ becomes incarnate, all of a sudden, notice as you go through the epistles, Jesus calls God his father again and again and again. And as we'll get into in a few minutes, we who are in Christ, we who have been bought again, we who have been born again, bought with a price, we now may call God father, even as Christ called him father. Because we have been brought into a new relationship. He is our true father. And we need to remember also that God defines what fatherhood is. Here on earth, there's a spectrum of fathers. Some of us had really great fathers. Some of us had horrible fathers. But none of that should uh, make us look at God and, oh, he's that kind of father. No, he is the perfect father. He is the one who defines what a truly good father is. He is the perfect father. Blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That title, Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the Christ all throughout the gospel. But not the Lord Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. Because after the resurrection, he is revealed in his glory, in his majesty. All throughout the epistles, Paul, Peter, John, James, all refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has conquered He is the victor over sin and death. He is the one who's risen and lives forevermore. And because of these things, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how wonderful that we can call him our Lord and our Savior, that he is Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sin. He is Christ, the Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. He is the one all the Old Testament longed for, the one that would crush the serpent's head, the one who was the abundant promised Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed, the one who is the final seed of David, the true king. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. The mercy of God. Oh, how wonderful that God should show mercy to us. Who are we? Who are we outside of Christ? We are sinners. We are rebels. We are enemies. We stand apart from God. He is high and holy and we are lost in sin. We deserve judgment and hell. Eternal fire. For all we fall short of the glory of God. And that's putting it in in minor. It's not as if we fall slightly short of the glory of God. The glory of God is beyond glorious. And we in our sins. God gives us life and breath and everything. And yet we do not bow the knee unto Him outside of Christ. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. And in our sin we have no hope and no joy. No true eternal joy. But yet, according to His mercy, God has mercy on us. And not just any kind of mercy, abundant mercy. The idea is an overflow. It cannot be measured how glorious and wonderful is the mercy of God. I'm always reminded of Jesus' parable of of the, the rich man and the Pharisee, they go to the, the temple and uh, the, the tax collector, sorry, and the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, Lord, look at how wonderful I am. But yet what? The tax collector comes and he bows down on the ground and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, beating his breast. Jesus says, one of those men went away justified. Which one was it? The tax collector. Lord, be merciful to me, A sinner. Oh, the abundant mercy. Oh, the abundant love and grace of God towards us lost sinners. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. There is nothing good in us that should earn God's favor or grace. Nothing good in us that could earn his favor or grace. Nothing in us that deserves salvation. It's all by the free grace of God. It's his mercy on lost, sin, sinners, those bound for hell and judgment. Oh, the abundant mercy that is ours, that flows from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Oh, that abundant mercy that has done something for us. God's abundant mercy by the Spirit has what? Begotten us again to a living hope. The words here are very similar to you must be born again. As Jesus talks to Nicodemus at the beginning of John. There must be new life. There must be adoption. And by the grace and mercy of God, there can be. Because Christ has come and Christ has has conquered and Christ has fulfilled all righteousness by his perfect, spotless, sinless life. Christ has bore our penalty and our sin on Calvary and Christ has conquered sin and death in the resurrection. All these things have been done for us so that we might be made new in Christ Jesus, that we might have newness of life, that we might be adopted as sons We must be born again. Oh, the glorious work of God in our hearts, that we are born again into newness of life. We picture that every time we have a baptism, walking in our old life, dying, going under the water, coming up again, now walking in the newness of life that is ours in Christ Jesus. That beautiful picture of what God has done to us in salvation. When we see our need of a Savior and cry out to Him to rescue and redeem us by His glorious, wonderful power, His Holy Spirit that is working in us, we are made new. We are born again. That word, born again, has almost been dragged through the mud, being used for everything under the sun, but yet it is such a powerful scriptural picture We ought to continually use it for the Lord himself uses it when talking to Nicodemus. And Peter alludes to it here. He has begotten us again. We have been made new. We have been given a new life. We have been adopted. As 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are in Christ. Old things have passed away. And we have become new. We have been bought with a price. That precious blood was shed for us. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sins. That life is ours in Christ. We have been grafted in, as it says in Romans. We have become partakers of life. We are in Christ Jesus, our hope and our life. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because Christ has risen. As we read in 1 Corinthians, Christ has risen. Christ has conquered. Therefore, we have hope. We know that Jesus indeed is who he said he was because he was risen from the dead both by the father and by the son and by his own power and i love the fact that as you read through the new testament who who rose jesus from the dead well you'll find several passages it was the father you'll find two passages it was the son two passages also it was the spirit it was the act of our triune god father son and holy spirit working together to raise jesus from the dead to put the official stamp of approval as it were On everything Jesus said and did. And if Christ is risen. Then oh we have resurrection life. If Christ is risen. Oh we have hope. A living hope. Because our hope is found in Christ. Because if he is for us. Who can be against us? If Christ is risen. And we are in him. Then we have hope of the resurrection. We have hope of the promise. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But more than that, we desire the coming again of Christ for the glorious day of resurrection. When the dead in Christ shall rise. Because the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of salvation as we'll get into in a minute. Is not found until our soul and our body are reunited again in newness of life. Because the separation of the the, the soul or the spirit and, and our bodies is not right. It's the effect of sin. It's not how it's supposed to be. But when God will put it right, when we have those new resurrection bodies in a new resurrection earth and heaven, that new heaven and a new earth that is to come, their righteousness dwells and the sin and the curse will be no more. We have this living hope. I've jumped ahead of myself into verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That inheritance that is Christ, in Christ, He is ours A beautiful picture to think about is imagine a magnet, one of those big magnets, and and a bed full of nails. As you bring that magnet over, what's it going to do? All those nails are going to jump up to meet that magnet as they're drawn to it. So it is with us as followers of Christ and Christ himself. Christ, even as he goes away in John, says, Where I am, you also may be. I go to prepare a place for you so that you may be what? With me with me read revelation the return of christ he comes what with his saints following him those that are here on earth come to meet him in the air and what christ comes down into the new heavens and new earth and what we are with him again our future our destiny is to be with christ oh what wonders to be with him who loved us who sought us and bought us By his redeeming blood. We have a living hope. An inheritance of eternal life. That is incorruptible. Undefiled. It cannot be. For it is found in Christ. Christ. He cannot die. He is risen from the dead. He can never die again. Death has no power over him. He has conquered sin and death in the grave. Our inheritance, our hope is incorruptible and undefiled because our hope is found in Christ. And Christ is our good shepherd. He is the one who loved us, loved us so much that he went willingly to the cross. And that's something we need to stress. Christ willingly went to the cross. There are some who say, oh, look at all that abuse that was thrown upon Jesus because the the father told him to do these things. No, no, no. You're creating some sort of division within the Godhead. But even more than that, Jesus willingly went. Look at the garden. Not your will. I mean, not my will, but yours be done. He willingly went. He knew what it was going to cost. He knew the pain. He knew the sorrow. But yet he went. For us and for our salvation. For the glory of God. He went. Oh, what love. He is our good shepherd who leads us and guides us and does not forsake us. He is for us who can be against us. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus as Paul breaks out into song in Romans? Nothing under the earth, nothing above the earth, nothing in the earth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an inheritance, what a hope we have. Eternal life found in Christ reserved in heaven for you. And this isn't one of those things, call ahead, book a table, and now it's reserved, and you hope that somehow you get there and it isn't taken. The, the hotel room I'm staying at tonight, when I got to the hotel, they, I found out that the room had been double booked, and someone was already in it. Now they were able to get me another room, but how good was that reservation? Oh, sorry, we double booked it. But if the one who holds the table is God himself, And we don't have to worry about someone sneaking in and taking it. Somehow it getting lost in the bureaucratic shuffle of paperwork. I'm sure most of us filed our taxes in the last little while. And you you send it out and you hope that they get everything. But with God, that's not true. He knows the beginning from the end. If it is reserved with Him, then you don't have to worry about it. You can lay down your head and sleep at night knowing that he holds all of creation together and he will not forget you. He cares for you. Oh, what wonder that the one who holds all the stars in place cares for us. Oh, what a wonder. And he will hold us fast. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Kept by the power of God. Oh, how wonderful. It is not our poor grip on the Savior which waxes and wanes and goes through hard times and good times, but Christ's grip on us that holds us fast. We are kept by His mighty hand. Because let's be honest, in our Christian lives, we go through times of mountaintop experiences. The sun is shining, our prayers seem on fire, that we open the scriptures and everything pops to life it's just so wonderful you you want to go with a spring in your step singing songs to the lord you want to share that the good news with those around you there's other times where you open scripture and you barely can read three verses and you go it's dead there is no life you pray and it seems to go nowhere and you begin to despair you have no song in your heart you have no desire to share the gospel and all you're left with is crying lord why am i so dry why am i so dry But it's not our poor grip on Christ, but His grip on us. Our grip waxes and rains. We find ourselves in sin and temptation, needing to flee to God to cleanse us, renew us. We confess, knowing that He will forgive us and wash us clean. His hand remains firm. He is the good shepherd he walks with us, yes, even through the valley of the shadow of death, so that we may fear no evil, even when we do not see that he is there with us. Sometimes we can't sense him with us, but yet he is there. I remember reading a, or hearing a sermon, I think it was, that was talking about Job. And Job is sitting there on the dunghill with his three friends around him and giving him poor advice. And him, his heart's just being destroyed as he's dealing with all that's going around him. And the reminder that God is still holding Job in his hand, even though it seems everything else is lost, God is still there. And Job, at the first, knows it. Though his eyes begin to drift. But that doesn't change God's hand holding him fast. We are kept by the power of God. Oh, that we might thank the Lord for all the times he has led us through difficult situations and dark days in our lives. And knowing that when new dark days will come, he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've mentioned, I think every time it's here, and and if you're in Perry Sound, you, you know I harp on this every time I preach God is not a liar. His word is true. That's the very foundation. God is not a man that he would lie. His promises are always yes and amen. If he says it, he will do it. And we're called to trust and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe. Even though we don't feel it, even though sometimes we don't even see it. I trust you more than I trust my emotions, more than my feelings more than the circumstances around me, I know that you will hold me fast and I can trust in you despite the storms and the waves and the assaults of the world, the flesh and the devil. And that's what Peter's getting at here. He's encouraging them. He says, I know you're going through really tough times. But before I dig into anything else in this epistle, I want to ground you in what Christ has done for you. The living hope you have in Jesus. He's assuming here that they've heard the gospel. They understand that Christ died for their sins. They understand the resurrection. They understand all those things that Paul most likely would have taught them when he planted these churches. Remember those things that you have heard in the past that have ground you down deep. Remember that it is God who keeps you. Through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter here speaks of salvation in the future. As scripture talks about our salvation, it really um, can be talking about three different things, all of which that are joined together. We as Christians have been saved, we are being saved and we will be saved. We are saved as far as our justification is, our right standing before the Lord God. Our sins have been washed away. We have been justified. We have been made righteous, declared righteous. And we have, as it were, the garment of Christ's righteousness upon us. His perfect life is applied to our account. And so we stand righteous before God. But we are also being saved. We are more and more being transformed into the image of Jesus. The theological word for that is sanctification. Growth in righteousness. Here in our lives, we run the race. We run towards the goal of being Christ-like. We fight the good fight. We want to be perfect as He is perfect. We strive for that perfection, even knowing that in the here and the now we can never reach it. It does not stop us from going forward to it. We desire that the Spirit would show us our sins and our idols in our lives so that we may deal with them, that we may put that to death that we might seek to be conformed to Christ, that Christ may be seen in us. And then finally, we will be saved. Glorification. One day we will see Christ as he is, and we no longer have to deal with the flesh. We no longer have to deal with sin. All those things will be taken away. And that which we have in justification, we will see in the here and the now. Right now we see by faith, But then we shall see by sight. We shall know him and see him as he is. And our salvation will be in a way complete. For we will be made like Christ. We are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. Praise be to God who is ever at work within his people. Molding them. Transforming them. Preparing them to see Christ face to face. In this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. All these things should make our hearts jump. They should fill us with joy and with peace, knowing that God is with us, that Christ holds us, that we are His. We have been bought with a price. We are His people. We are His sons. The inheritance is ours in Jesus Christ. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter doesn't want to sugarcoat it. He knows the hardships of this life. He knows that walking the Christian walk of living as Christians in this world is going to be full of hardships. He knows that as we strive to be testimonies for Jesus, that we will suffer persecution and ridicule. He knows these things for he himself has gone and is going through them. And all the more so as we live in dark and treacherous times. And we see our society wandering ever further from the truth. It used to be ten years ago that the gospel was something to be scoffed at in our society. But now ten years later it's almost seen as a hate crime even to preach the very words of Christ. Christ. We are entering into a time where it will be more and more difficult to live as Christians. But yet we can find rejoicing in the midst of trials and tribulations because we have a living hope. We have a living hope. And sadly we go out into a world that has no hope. Most of the people we meet have no hope no hope. Why do we see such a rash of suicide, of assisted deaths, of all sorts of things going on in our, in our world? Because there is no foundation, there is no hope, there is no joy. People are giving up. They turn on the television and they hear of wars, rumors of wars and disease. And they click them off and say, what's the point? What's the point? Let us eat, drink and be merry and tomorrow we die. There is no hope. But yet you and I have that living hope within us. And we have been commissioned by the living Savior to go and to share that hope that we have. Here is Christ. Here is the living hope. Here is the living Savior. Oh, flee unto Him and find forgiveness. Find reconciliation with God. Find peace with God. Look forward to spending eternity with Christ. In a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Where everything is set right. The curse is no more. Chaos is no more. Where we can be who we have been called to be in the fullness thereof without sin. Oh how wonderful to be in Christ and to have that hope. And even the here and now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No matter what happens in the here and the now, we know that Christ holds us fast. That is a sure and living hope. Go and share the hope. Point to Christ, the bread of life, the living water. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The world so desperately needs rest. Real rest in the arms of Christ. Real love in what Christ is. And we use that word love all over the place. But here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. While we were yet his enemies, where we were yet deserving of death and hell and judgment, Christ died for us. What love is this? What love is this? And that's who we point to. That's the gospel that we share. And that is our joy that is with us even in the midst of trials and troubles. If God is for us, who can be against us? And let us encourage each other with these words. For as we go through troubles, we need each other. We need the body of Christ. Peter is writing this to churches in the dispersion, groups of believers. He wants them to encourage each other. So we need as a church body to build each other up, to speak words of encouragement and truth, to always point each other to Christ. Because when one falls down, others can come, and help them, scoop them up, encourage them. Because we're all going to be down. We're all going to go through dark valleys. Let us be there for each other, always pointing to the living hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for that living hope that is ours in Jesus. No other hope, no other hope. Our only hope is found in Christ. All other hope is built on sinking sand. Lord, take these things by your Spirit and write them upon our hearts. For, Lord, we may rejoice in this hope in the moment, but tomorrow who knows what may come. And our hearts and minds may drift to this or that, or they may sink even into the heart of despair. But, O Lord, may we meditate, fill our minds with that living hope. And, O Lord, help us that we may shine forth as lights, pointing those that we work with, our family, our friends, our neighbors, to that living hope. Lord, our world is lost in sin and darkness with no hope, no hope. But Lord, you have called us to be ambassadors of Christ Jesus, armed with that living hope that we may point people to the Savior that cry, you must be born again. Flee unto Christ and find forgiveness full and free in the Lamb of God. He will cast none out. O Lord, we thank you for those precious words. O Lord, draw by your spirit, we ask and pray. Father, you are worthy, worthy of all our praise. What can we say? You have mercy upon us who do not deserve it. Lord, we thank you. Fix our eyes upon that living hope. Christ is risen. Christ is victorious. Christ is Lord. Christ is King of Kings. Christ is conqueror. And Lord, he is coming again. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, how we long to see your face. Oh, how we long to bask in your amazing grace. Oh, how we wish to be rid of the sin that so easily besets us. Be glorified and to rejoice in Christ our Savior. O Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.